0: Let's pray. Father, I, I, I desperately need you. Our flesh is so weak. I pray that through this, the preaching of your word that we'd be able to put off uh, ungodly beliefs, ungodly desires, and put on uh, godly beliefs, godly desires, and that our actions um, when we walk out of here would uh, be magnifying to you because our, our outer flesh is so weak, but your spirit is willing. God, we need you. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Often, our society thinks that uh, suffering and death is a, a natural thing. It's uh, and The definition of natural that I would be using in that scenario would mean uh, basically not from mankind. Not caused by mankind. Which is an unbiblical belief. And it puts in a desire... For something that's causing uh, death and suffering, that's ungodly. So, if you remember back to Genesis three, okay, when Adam and Eve they had an opportunity. There's no sin, no suffering, no death. God told them what not to do and what to do. But of course, what happened? You can't blame Satan. Satan tempted them, but their their ability to sin. Took over. They're like, well, they believed, okay, God is not good. He's keeping this one tree of whatever apple, fruit, whatever it was from us. And that if we don't get this, our desires will not be met. We have to have this. So if you're willing to put something else on the throne of your life, if that could be uh, the lack of suffering, uh, your, your fear of death, if it gets on the throne replaces God, and it becomes, of course, a sin issue. Uh, so from there on, uh, in, in, so we're all born in sin, uh, started in Eve, Um, but suffering itself is not natural. Definitely not natural. So most of our society, uh, worry and fear is, is a common thing when it comes to death and suffering. We worry constantly that... Uh, we might suffer. We might get sick. That God is not good because if we do get sick, of course God's not good because we believe we have to be well, or we fear death because we're probably more afraid of how we're going to die, or maybe as a non-believer that we don't we don't know how what will happen after death. Fear tells us you you want uh, what you really want. It's important to you. What you value, what you love. Fear and anxiety say this. You want something and you might not get it. I'm in danger. I am not in control. We want to control um, our securities of health. We want to control how we die, when we die. That's uh, ungodly. We're believing that God doesn't have a good plan for us in suffering, outside of suffering, when we're going to die There's, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen, uh, uh, there's a movie that came out in 2019, uh, Richard Warmbrand. uh, He was a Lutheran pastor in uh, Romania. Uh, This is early, this is mid 1940s. So when Russia, the communist uh, part of Russia, took over Romania, they uh, made a state religion of atheism. And they. got all uh, the pastors, uh, the religious leaders in Romania to basically be their spokespersons uh, for communism. And uh, of course, Richard, um, he was sitting next to his wife. Uh, they were at this conference, and they were trying to get people to get on board with this. And uh, his wife sits down. And Richard's like, should I say something? Should I stand up and uh, correct this, this non-truth? And his wife's like, I didn't marry a coward, did I? And she just looks at him. <laughs> He's like, no. So he gets up, goes down in front of all these religious leaders and proclaims the truth and that they should stand for the truth, the truth of the Bible, the truth of Christianity, and not communism or whatever else that uh, Russia wanted them to proclaim. So anyways, he went on from there. Uh, When the churches were being... uh basically a place for communism to be, be taught. He uh, went into the house churches, started his own house church. Um, they met under uh, rough circumstances, potential death. And through that, they saw uh, even uh, Russians um, come to faith, they even baptized in their house. So he would go out uh, to even the Russian soldiers and very wisely share the gospel with them, knowing if they caught him doing it, it would probably mean years and years of persecution, uh, beatings, and who knows what else. So actually that came true uh, a matter of, I think it was in, within a year, um, they threw him in prison, they took him, uh, and then they said, well, we're not like the Nazis, we don't want to kill you, murder you, we just want you to suffer. So what they did, they, uh, I'm trying to be, uh, they put him in this, First off, they put them in these boxes with these nails all around them just so you have to stand there like this so you can't move for upwards of days. Uh, They would string them up upside down. They would beat their feet. Every time they catch them preaching to each other because these were believers in this compound um, of uh, jail, whatever you want to call it. Uh, Every time they catch them praying, they'd take them out of this jail cell and just beat them. Every day. He said he had a verse. He said the first thing he said when they they kidnapped him and took him to this facility, that he had a verse that God is good or something around those lines that he had memorized for every day of the year. So he asked him, what day is it? It was a leap year. So he said he had a verse for that day as well. So his word was saturated in him and he was looking towards uh, the future. He knew that God was good. He knew even when he was getting uh, beaten off and on, all basically every other day, that uh, his trust was in God's word and God Himself. So Richard Wormbrand was tortured for Christ. He knew the suffering um, was worth it. It was worth the gospel being proclaimed. It was worth the suffering. So he knew it was going to happen. Later on, actually, while he was in that uh, compound, his wife actually got taken as well. And she was put to uh, slave labor for years. And we'll kind of revisit Richard. So if you turn with your Bibles, I hope you have your Bibles uh, with you. To 2 Corinthians 4.16-18. Sorry, 2 Corinthians 4.16-5.10 is what I'm going to preach. So 2 Corinthians 416 So we do not lose heart, though our outer self is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. As we look not to the things that are seen, but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. For we know that if the tent that that is our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal, So First Corinthians 4.16, so Paul is proclaiming here not to lose heart. So where he's coming from, if you look earlier in 4, um, 4 eight. so we are afflicted in every way, but cr- not crushed, perplexed, but not driven to despair, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed, always carrying the body of death, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be manifested in our bodies. So even though we're perplexed, we're not driven to despair, we're persecuted but not forsaken. So even in all this suffering, don't give up. Take heart. Do not lose heart. Because our outer self is wasting away. So what is this outer self? So outer self is what you what is seen. So this fleshly body we're in currently. Our outer self, inner self is being renewed day by day. So our outer self, our physical body. Uh, our ailments that we see is wasting away. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. So how is this outer self wasting away? There's, there's massive suffering in this world. There's over, on uh, the CDC website, there's over around 600,000 cancer uh, causes of death in 2019. There's over, I think over that even of heart disease, there's over 20, around 20,000 homicides in 2018, 130 million visits to the uh, emergency room or hospital in 2018. I'm sure that went up in 2019, 2020. We live in a world with massive suffering, but our bodies are, are gradually being destroyed by time. But our... Inner self is being renewed day by day. So our reality of our inner self, uh, inner self is soul, spirit, our heart, our inner being, who you are apart from the body, or soul and body. You've probably heard that, Sam talked about that uh, a lot when it comes to biblical counseling. So the heart being a, a central place where we believe out of, uh, we, desires come out of, and of course our actions, uh, our words come out of our heart, our inner being if you remember, Jesus said, well, uh, they can kill, he's giving encouragement really to his disciples, well, they can kill the body, but they can't the soul. So an outer our soul, they can uh, a terrorist can wipe out the body, but they can never take the soul. It's the inner being that is not wasting away that will be renewed with heaven. So what's it mean that our outer self is wasting away and our inner self is being renewed by day, day by day? So in the Spirit itself, the Spirit's dwelling, we're renewed day by day. So this, in, the, in the Greek, this uh, renewed word means like bring back to where it was. So we think about Adam and Eve before sin into the world. So day by day, we're being sanctified. We're being renewed day by day of our heart. Um, by saturating in the Word, by the power of the Holy Spirit, daily we're being renewed day by day. In 17 it says, For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen, but the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. So there's a lot of uh, conflict over verse 17. So almost in a way it sounds like Paul's being... Uh, almost rude in a way, saying that suffering is light and suffering is momentary. Because on a normal spectrum, you go to a person who is suffering from cancer, they will say that's probably not light. But what is it light in, in spectrum two? We're looking at what? We're looking at preparing us for eternal weight of glory. So glory that we're looking towards is weighty. It means a lot. This current suffering in outer body is light and momentary. It's transient in short time frames. So suffering prepares us for glory. All suffering in the world has been predetermined by God, which sounds, of course, unworldly. Affliction produces glory. Uh, Romans 8.17, if a child... If we are children, as believers, then heirs, heirs of God, fellow fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with Him in order that we also be glorified with Him. Mark it down. You want to live a godly life in Christ Jesus? You're going to suffer. You're going to live on this earth. Suffering will happen. But what are you putting your hope in? So you think through uh, Joseph. So Joseph had a a rough life, (laughs) to say the least. Uh, You think through, he was with his brothers, he was happy about this new coat that his dad made for him, all these colors. He went to show his brothers, they were jealous, let's kill him, get rid of him. So one brother, I think Reuben, had a little bit of wisdom, let's just throw him in a pit instead instead of kill him. And just put some uh, sheep's blood on these clothes and show it to our dad to see that he died. And then they decided it was wise to sell him. And after that, he gets sold to, uh, works in Potiphar's house instead of being, uh, he did well there until Potiphar's wife tried to attract him, um, to sleep with her, her. But of course, he took the opportunity God gave him and ran. And of course, lies kept being told about him. His name was being tarnished. He got thrown in jail. Um, and then God, God used him massively to, uh, uh, interpret dreams, etc. And eventually, through all that suffering, his brother's trying to kill him. He got sold into slavery. Um, he went all the way up to a high-level ranking official Potter Potiphar's house to be a slave there. And he got thrown in prison. And then, after God using all that suffering from his brothers that initiated it, so suffering brought on by other people, he uh, was used mightily by God to uh, basically save for seven years of famine, so they'd have food um, to save out many people, thousands of lives were saved through that. So Joseph, um, his his view of that, if you look at Genesis fifty twenty, he says, "As for you, you." So he's talking to his brothers uh, after they came back to him to get food in Genesis fifty twenty. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So he knew that even in massive amounts of suffering in his life, that God meant it for good. He lived out Romans eight seventeen. He knew what he was looking towards and what the plan God had for him. So this glory, so it says, preparing us so as Light, momentary affliction is preparing us for eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison. So we're looking away from the suffering in this world and we're looking towards the eternal weight of glory that is coming. That is coming. So it's glory uh, in the Greek is a quality of splendid, remarkable appearance. So we're, we're looking past this, this scene, uh, body that is suffering, that can get sick, that can get cancer, kill itself. And we're looking towards the body that will be given to us at the resurrection where there will be no sickness, as uh, no suffering. I was, like, I was talking to Emma about this, my four-year-old daughter. And she's like, so at, and she didn't say resurrection, so in heaven. She's like, so I'll have no owies on my body anymore, huh? And I was like, yes, Emma, you're right. So that's a four-year-old's perspective on the new uh, resurrected body that we will have. So as we look not to the things that are seen so we can see this body, this body that's wasting away, but to the things that are unseen, we're looking to the unseen body, the resurrected body, the glorious resurrection body of believers. So again, uh, it's not something we'll get directly when we go to heaven unless you're still alive at the second coming of Christ. It depends on your end times theology of how that works. But at one point, we will have that new resurrected body that will never decay and suffer because we'll be in the presence of God. There's no decay and suffering in the Garden Eden before the fall. They are with God. There's no suffering, no sin. So we have hope in this life of suffering. Because so we're looking towards the unseen, not the, the seen, which is our body here and now. Paul was a very strange man, the Apostle Paul. He had a weird view of life. And death. I would say, uh, if you look at a perspective that we're usually we would have as a Christian, because if you think through all the stuff that happened to him. If Second uh, Corinthians uh, eleven uh, kind of gives through uh, a spectrum of all the stuff that happened to him, at least most of it. More stuff happened after this was written. But if you can turn over to Second Corinthians eleven twenty one. Part B there, but whatever anyone else desires a boast of, I'm speaking as a fool. I am dare to boast of that. Are they Hebrews? So am I. So he's not. He's, he's not. He doesn't want to boast, but he's saying, even though I'm all this, I still suffered. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they offspring of Abraham? So am I. Are they servants of Christ? So I am a better one. I am talking like a madman, with far greater labors, far more imprisonments with countless beatings, and often near death. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods, once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked. He actually was shipwrecked again later after this was written. A night and a day I was adrift at sea, on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from the false brothers and toil and hardship but oh my many a sleepless night in hunger and thirst often without food in cold and exposure. So why would a guy like that if you flip over like the Philippians 1 dying is gain but for this momentary I got to stay here. I mean he's torn between the two. I want to die, be with Christ. I know I need to stay here in Philippians 1. He teaches that. Paul's a very strange man. I think if that happened to me, I would not be saying that. Because when you get sick, I mean, I, I have a choice when I get sick. I mean, when you're not sick, it's easy to say, well, God, I believe that you have what's good for me. Um, I desire to be well. And I thank you for letting me have be well. But then as soon as you get sick, you're like, well, I don't know. You start distrusting God's goodness towards you. I was last night at 11 o'clock when I was losing my supper. I was not thanking that uh god was good i was thinking why now <laughs> but what a, a glorious time to to preach on suffering if you're not suffering yourself richard uh warmbrand as i mentioned earlier he he knew uh of paul's sufferings he knew that says uh, what the if you go back to that compound they are in he would every night at five, he said, that he'd go pray. And then as soon as they catch him praying, they'd take him out and beat him. But then what do you do again? Every night at five, he'd pray again. That's his routine in that cell that his jail cell is in. But he, he loved his his captors, his abusers so much. Towards the end of that fourteen year time frame, somewhere in there, uh, he had a conversation with one of the jailers, and the jailer's like, why I mean You've been beaten daily for years now. Why do you keep praying? Because he trusts in what's not seen. He knew this body is nothing. And he's like, it's here now and gone tomorrow. And he says to the jailer, Well, I'm praying for you. And, and at least in the movie, I don't know if it's true. He's like, he's just kind of taken back. And he's like, Wow. I'm not sure if any of those jailers were saved. But. Richard Warmbrand, he knew what was to come. He knew they could kill the body and not the soul. I pray that we would have faith like that. So Paul was a very strange man, so is guys like Richard. And we should take on um, their view of death and suffering. So Paul conf- continues this argument of the seen and unseen in chapter 5. We know that if the tent... That is, our earthly home is destroyed. We have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. So instead of the unseen, he's talking about here is the tent. So remember, uh, we are, of course, believers, so God dwells in us as our, we're, our body's a temple. So he's using the illustration here as a tent. As our earthly home is destroyed, we have a building from God, a house not made with hands, eternal in the heavens. For this tent we groan so in this this body that is is grown is dying slowly dying we groan it's like a deep sense of uh, burden because um, what we see is this tent but it's being destroyed so we're groaning uh, and it's like a deep sense so there's there's healthy um, anxiety almost in a way it's like your your desire to have so much of something that's godly but of course of course as soon as it becomes something you want to send to get it it becomes ungodly desire but almost like this burden in the greek means i'm burdened i'm almost anxious uh, about it i want it so badly a deep longing to put on the resurrected body so for this tent we groan, longing to put on our heavenly dwelling. If indeed by putting it on, we may not be found naked. So verse 3 can be a little weird. So be found naked. So this is talking about the momentary part. So when you die, your soul, your inner being, your heart is in heaven. We know that because uh, it will be in paradise as soon as we're heaven. Because you look at that, the, the thief on the cross. Jesus said, I'll be with you in paradise today. He wasn't talking about his resurrected body. He was talking about his soul, his heart. will be with Christ after death. So you're separated from, the, from your body, you're the, the seen body, and then of course, looking towards the resurrected body that will happen when Christ returns. But in verse 4, for while we are still in this tent, we grow and being burdened. Not that we would be unclothed, but that we would be further clothed. So looking towards the new resurrected body as better. Um, Of course, we don't know exactly what we're going to look like, but it will be a body, I'd say, similar to what we have now, but without sin. And no owies, as my my daughter says. But that we would be further clothed, so that that what is mortal may be swallowed up in life. He who has prepared us for this very thing is God, who has given us the Spirit as a guarantee. Apart from the Spirit, we cannot view or even pursue the unseen. We we wouldn't look towards it we are so corrupted by the world. But, of course, as the Spirit renews your heart, gives you a new heart, you have opportunity to be sanctified daily by the Spirit and look towards the unseen. Because God presents all men in His dwelling in the future. So we are always in good courage. So, apart from the spirit, you can't have courage. There's no courage to look towards the unseen. Because uh, atheists would say, well, we're just carbon. We're just going to turn to soil, which is true. This body that's seen will dissipate, dissipate into nothingness. But that God is, of course, bigger and more sovereign over that issue. He does not need us to be looking perfect when we go into the ground. So we are always of good courage. We know that while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord. For we walk by faith, not by sight. Yes, we are of good courage. We would rather be away from the body at home with the Lord. Because when we're here in this suffering, seen body, what we see here, the tent, we're apart from the Lord. But as soon as we're looking towards when we'll be with the Lord, the unseen. Because we make it our aim to please Him for whether we appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. So apart from faith, apart from the Holy Spirit, you have no courage, and the sufferings of this world will overtake you. So put your faith and trust in Christ, knowing, looking forward to the body that we cannot see, the resurrected body. And we walk all this by faith, by faith, if you remember uh, Hebrews 11.1, one, faith is assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we have faith, we have hope, knowing that this body that is wasting away, potentially faster than others, uh, you might even have family members that you know that their bodies are wasting away faster than yours. So you, but you, you can give hope to them, knowing by faith we can look towards the uh, resurrected body. Because we're doing all this to please God, to have opportunity to choose how we live, knowing that we please God in this wasting away body from the heart and that judgment is coming It's the gospel. So we have the perfect creation. We were made good. We have the fall. We're sent into the world. We are indwelt sinners now. And then we have Christ who came to give redemption to our fallen bodies, renew our hearts. And then with Christ's second coming, we will be judged. Uh, Sam preached a wonderful sermon on these in Luke 19 a few months ago possibly on judgment, etc. So refer to that. But in general, knowing that even the good will be judged. Not for... Either heaven or hell, because we know in Christ there's no condemnation, no condemnation for those who are in Christ, Romans eight one. But we know we will be judged for every word, every deed we do, and there will be rewards in heaven for those who suffered. Richard Warmbrandt was a guy who knew that. He knew that the captors that were beating him every day will be judged. So he wanted, no matter what they did to him, to share Christ as they're they're beating his feet. He's like, why don't you have mercy? Is there no mercy in you? And, and, and Paul, you look at Apostle Paul, when they stoned him, they drug him out of Lystra, I think it was. And then his disciples, they stoned him so much, he passed out, they drug him out, he thought he was dead. His, Paul's apostles, uh, disciples came to him, look at him. Uh, it says in uh, Acts 14, then all of a sudden Paul popped back up and went with Barnabas to the next city. He's like, I think if I got stoned to death, almost, close to stoned to death, passed out, I don't think I'd be running to the next city to preach the gospel again. Because Paul was looking towards the unseen. He wasn't being all caught up in uh, the sufferings of his present life. He had hope for the future. So we can look towards Richard Warmbrandt and Joseph, and the Apostle Paul, and there's many other examples in the Bible, and uh, other saints uh, that have suffered much in this world, knowing that uh, they have a greater possession. One, a body that is unseen, a tent that is unseen, one will be sinless, have no suffering anymore. So when you worry about... um, suffering and when you have all your hope in this present life when you get caught up in all that what are you hoping in so where is your hope in this life of suffering where are you putting it are you putting it in your physical abilities what do you believe in that spectrum so put on godly belief system knowing that god has a better plan than what you might have planned what does your heart believe what do you want When you suffer, do you fear and worry about death? If so, why? Put on the truth of Scripture and live in it, Christian. Because this seen body is wasting away and you can't stop it. There's no reason to worry and be anxious about it, but live for Christ, looking towards the unseen, knowing that we'll be with Christ. So there's hope in life of suffering and hope in death. So that's my, my hope for you that you can have this mind of Christ with you. And we can pl- we pro- proclaim that to those, uh, our family members that we're, we're suffering. And maybe when you're suffering, they won't say that questioning your heart is God good. Because God is good. Because He knows that the more we suffer, the more we're like Him. Yes, God can heal. He could heal. He could heal anybody if he wanted to. But in suffering, we remain more like Christ. Paul knew that. Richard Warmbrandt knew that. He knew in this suffering life that Christ can get glory, and the truth can be prevailed. So let's pray. God, I pray that this mind of Christ, this mind of uh, a biblical suffering, would be in us. That our hearts would be transformed in this truth uh, throughout this week, etc. I pray that in Jesus' name. Amen.